Well, welcome to the hills from wherever you are in Tarrant County or literally around the world. And I want you to know I am full of thanksgiving, and that's not fake. I really am thankful. I'm thankful to my Hills Church family for the way you have adapted and adopted to our new digital options so, so well. Uh, I'm thankful to the team that I work with. They have been cranking. Our children's ministry are sending to our families every Monday five prepared lessons and exercises to uh, bless your children during the week while they're home from school. Uh, And they've sent to 4,000 families this weekend a worship experience, especially for children that's age appropriate. Our student ministry launched a study of the book of Romans, and they're reading through the book of Romans in three weeks. They had an amazing turnout to their teaching time on Wednesday night, and every day through Instagram, they're reaching out to the students of all of our campuses. In fact, other churches have called in and said, how can we be a part of what you're doing? Our ladies' ministry has been doing classes online. Our community groups are meeting digitally through apps like Zoom. And then every morning, we are having a devotional at 8.30, and it is getting thousands of viewers, and we'd love for you to spread the word about that. So I'm grateful to my team, especially I want to call out uh, Anthon and Ben and Cy and Dean and Bill and all on the uh, creative and tech arts arena who have gone the second mile and worked so hard. We may not be working in the office and at home, but let me tell you, your, your ministry team is working. And I'm thankful to them. And I am thankful that God is teaching us new ways to bless people. I'm looking on the bright side of what's going to come from all that we're going through right now. The church is learning to be the church in new and dynamic ways. And besides that, let's be honest, next January, we are going to have the largest baby dedication services we have ever had. And Don't act like you're not surprised. You know I'm telling the truth. And when that generation goes to middle school, we're going to call them, wait for it, the quarantines. Okay, now I can see your eyes rolling right through the screen. But right now, we need a little attempt at humor, even if it's not very good. It's been tough to stay home, hasn't it? Even an introvert like me is, is tired of being shut up. You know, freedom is a really special gift that we don't always appreciate until it's gone. And the only reason we're surrendering it right now is because it is for the good of others. Now, typically, it's the other way around. Typically, I would encourage you not to surrender your freedom for the good of others and for your own good. You see, that's why we have the book of Galatians that we've been studying this spring. Paul is asking the question, is Jesus' work enough to save us? Is Jesus' spirit enough to change us? And he's saying resoundingly, yes, the work of Christ can release us from the penalty of sin and the spirit of Christ can release us from the power of sin, that the gospel is an emancipation proclamation. And we should cherish our freedom and never surrender it. In fact, in Galatians 5 and in verse 1, Paul says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now think about that phrase, 
Don't let yourself be burdened again. I remember years ago a story of a young girl, a teenager in Memphis, Tennessee that was kidnapped. And she was held hostage for four months in an attic of a church. And so for weeks, people gathered to sing and to pray and to worship while in their midst, someone desperately needed to be rescued. And thankfully, she was. You see, the reason the book of Galatians is still relevant is because there are people in church that still need to be rescued. Because here's the thing about freedom. It drifts. We've got to stay vigilant or we will drift out of the freedom that Christ has given us. If we don't actively stand in it, we will slide out of it. I want us now to start reading again in chapter 4 of Galatians in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Now, let's stop right there because what Paul has said is absolutely shocking. Remember, he was raised a Jew. He loved the Jewish religion and tradition. And now people are trying to tell these Galatian Christians, if you don't become like a Jew, you can't really be a follower of Christ. And Paul says, why do you want to be burdened again? Now, do you get what he's saying? Now, formerly, they were idolaters. They worshiped pagan gods in detestable ways. Now, Paul says, if you become an adherent to the Jewish tradition and the law of Moses, you've gone back to what you left. Now, do you know how offensive that would be to any Jew to compare the Jewish faith to the pagan faith? But Paul says, really, there's only two kinds of religion in the world. The religion that says do and the religion that says done. Paul is asking the question, why do you want to go back to do? You were enslaved to a way to appease heaven by all the things you had to do. Why do you want to go back to a different version of the same kind of religion? He's so burdened that he cannot help himself. He goes from being a scholar and he starts talking like a pastor. Look at verse 12. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. You can feel that his heart is breaking. He hates what they're being taught because he loves them so much. And when you love 
people. It might involve telling them what they might hate to hear. He says, have I become your enemy because I am telling you the truth. I heard about a Sunday school class where the teacher asked the children, what is false doctrine? Well, a little boy thought he said doctoring. And he replied, it is when you give the wrong stuff to sick people. And I would contend maybe he still got the right answer. That false teaching gives the wrong stuff to people who need something completely different. Paul, Paul says, you loved me once. Why do you not love me now? Because I'm contending for the gospel. Paul says, this is not about me. I'm not trying to shape you in my image. I want Christ to be formed in you. And by the way, that's a great question for any pastor. In whose image am I trying to build the church? I hear sometimes about people who lose their faith when a pastor falls. Well, your faith is not supposed to be in a pastor. It is only Jesus that can set us free. And he's going to remind the Galatians of this by going back to uh, the story of Abraham one more time. Because the legalizers were saying, you need to be circumcised if you want Abraham to be your father. And Paul is going to say, you know, the question is not who's your father. The question is, who do you want to be your mother? Verse 21, now tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. Now these things are to be taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is from above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free Woman. Now, you may not be familiar what story he's talking about. So God told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, a child of promise. But after many years, no child was born. And Sarah has gotten past the point of being able to have a child. And she starts to think, well, now God promised Abraham a son. He never named who the mother would be. In fact, I never actually heard God in the first place, just him. So, so they decided we're going to help God. We're going to help God do what only God can do. And so Sarah gave her maidservant Hagar to Abraham to get her pregnant and have a son. Now, please understand, in that culture, that was acceptable. Ishmael was born. And there was nothing about Ishmael that was illegitimate. 
But there was nothing about the birth of Ishmael that was supernatural. And Ishmael represents all attempts to reach God through what we do instead of trusting in what only God can do. And Ishmael religion results in bondage because it treats the commands of God as a job description for slaves who are trying to prove their value so that the master doesn't get rid of them. Look at how Paul sums it up in Romans chapter 4. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Now this sums up the two ways you can approach God, the two kinds of religion, do and done. Is your salvation a wage that you have earned? Or is your salvation a gift that God has granted because of his grace? And what Paul is saying is that our salvation is like Isaac. It is a miracle due solely to the grace of God. That just as God infused Abraham and Sarah with reproductive life, so God infuses us with resurrection life when we trust Him and receive His Holy Spirit. And the consequence then is that we can relate to God not as slaves, but as heirs. We have been set free and now we need to guard that freedom or it will drift. And so Paul is going to put the pedal to the metal now and he's going to say some things that an apostle gets to say and a pastor would get fired if he ever said. Hold on, here we go. Chapter five. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you'll take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. (laughs) As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now again, can you see how intense 
Paul is. He says, these people telling you to get circumcised, well, I wish they would just go the whole way. They would do less harm to the body of Christ if they would castrate themselves than if they would get you to be circumcised. Now, that's strong, and maybe that even offends you, but if it does, it might be because you don't cherish the freedom Christ died to give us as much as Paul does. And perhaps you don't understand the dangers of drifting back into religious bondage like Paul does. Paul understands that the gospel has rescued us from slavery for freedom. And I want to dig down into that a little bit more. How have we been rescued and what have we been rescued from? Well, he says we've been rescued from the collateral damage of rules-based religion. See, Ishmael religion is due religion. It is rules-based. And here's the thing. It can get results. But it has toxic side effects. And I want to just spell a few of those out for you. One is going to be joylessness. Go back to verse 15. He says, when I was preaching the gospel of grace, you were very happy. But where is that joy now, now, legalism cannot produce joy because it's based on your performance instead of on God's faithfulness. And you're always going to have a failed performance. You're always going to have a bad day. You will never be able to sustain joy because it depends on you instead of on God. That's one toxic consequence. Another, ironically, is pride. It produces pride because it's all about me and the possibility that I could glory in myself if I get it right. And it's a power trip to try to control others and tell them what they need to be doing that I'm doing. Uh, Paul says that in chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. So rules-based religion almost always involves People, especially pastors, boasting in themselves because they're controlling the way people live. But maybe the most toxic consequence of Ishmael religion is disunity in the body, disharmony in the body. Go back to verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Now, why does this happen? Here's why. Because you see, in rules-based religion, you earn points, and it's a game that decides who's the winner and who's loser. And so my brothers and sisters don't become my co-heirs. They become my competition. If they are doing it better than me, I feel guilty. And if they do it worse than me, I feel proud. In fact, I can almost subtly rejoice in the fall of other people because it makes me feel better about myself. And so to win this game, I'm going to find the rule that I keep the best and make that the most important rule. And that's why legalism divides the body. Now, two of the greatest evangelists for Christ in the 1800s were Charles Spurgeon in London and Dwight L. Moody in Chicago. And Moody was a large man and he admired Spurgeon so much and he got to go to London and he couldn't wait to try to meet him. He went to his home, knocked on the door. Well, Spurgeon showed up, answered the door, smoking a big old cigar, which in Moody's mind was wrong. He says, how can you, a man of God, smoke something like that? And Spurgeon took his hand and poked 
Moody's belly and said, the same way that you, a man of God, can be that fat. See what happens? We start judging each other. We start comparing with each other. We start putting each other down. Listen, some of us know from experience, it is no fun to go to a church full of Hagar's kids. But the gospel sets us free to rejoice in the growth of our brothers and sisters because now we're rescued and free to be formed into the image of Christ through the Holy Spirit, not through rules. Our church has a mission to make and grow followers of Jesus. We're just as committed to that mission right now as we've ever been because we believe it is possible for us to be more like Jesus. It is possible for us to think more, to act more, to look more, to, to love more like Jesus. For Christ to be formed in us. But listen, Christ formed in us is a supernatural birth, not a natural birth. It's the result of God infusing resurrection life into us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to say a lot about this next week, so don't miss. Paul's going to use some strong verbs in chapter 5. He's going to say we need to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. But I want you to go back to the verb he used back in verse 5. He says, For we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by, not by rules, by faith, the righteousness God has promised to us. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that God is forming us into doppelgangers of Jesus. By faith, he's doing this. And there's a couple of really comforting thoughts that come from this. One is God doesn't need potential in you to work a miracle in you. Sarah had no potential, but God used her and worked a miracle in her. God isn't asking for your ability. He's asking for your availability. Give your life, surrender, and let his spirit begin to change you into the person he wants you to be. And a second thing, listen, until Jesus returns and we get our new bodies, we're going to struggle with sin. Now, we don't get content with sin, but we'll always struggle with sin. And you need to hear me say this. Your present struggle with sin does not put your salvation in jeopardy. You're not losing your inheritance because you're still struggling to overcome sin. God is forming you into the image of Christ. And by faith, you are receiving this righteousness. Christ is our hope and our confidence that God is going to finish what he started. I love Philippians 1.6. I'm also certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. See, God knows how to raise kids. God knows what he's doing. So we need to trust our father. And in doing so, we learn how to please him. You see, we have been rescued for a life of humble and selfless love. Now, here's an irony. Ishmael religion is about servitude. But when we get set free from do, 
we are more able to serve. Go back to verse 6. When we're in Christ Jesus, it's not important if we're circumcised or not. The important thing is faith. Now watch. The kind of faith that works through love. Now he's not saying that we have to love in order to earn our salvation. He's saying that this kind of love is produced when we receive salvation by faith. Now here's why. Why is Ishmael religion always a fail when it comes to a consistent love? Here's why. Because it produces guilt and fear and you can't operate consistently in love when those are your primary emotions. But what faith does, it releases us from guilt and from fear and from pride. These things that are hindrances to love. Faith receives the blessing of the confidence, the promise, and the inheritance, the assurance of God. And living out of that blessing, I am better able to love. Because now I'm no longer loving you for a blessing. I'm loving you from my blessing. And this is why Jesus could love everybody. Because he didn't need anybody to tell him who he was. He had received that assurance by faith, by trusting his father. He knew who he was. And it's the same way with us. When we, by faith, receive the blessing of God, we are released to love in ways we've never been able to love before because we don't need anything from anybody. We're now able to truly, humbly, and selflessly serve. So faith relies on God and it expects Him to work miracles in us. And that's why I keep saying over and over, you can't close the church. You can change how she meets. You cannot close the church because the Holy Spirit is forming Christ in people and by faith they're expressing themselves in loving ways. You can't stop that. I've seen it all over our church this past week. Uh, I've been trying every week, uh, every day to call some of our older people in our church who are isolated and every time I do they say, oh, I've been getting calls all day long. People are texting me. People are checking on me. Faith expressing itself in love. I loved it. We had a, a man who's in his 80s this week call and get trained on how to use uh, Voom and other technologies so he can keep in touch with his community group. And by the way, side note, community group leaders. If our 80-year-olds can use technology to keep meeting, you can too. So leader, step it up and keep your group together. This is faith expressing itself in love. I heard about uh, one grandfather whose wife made some cobblers and he took his granddaughter and he just left those cobblers on the porch of some of our shut-ins. Faith expressing itself in love. I heard about one of our, our, our community groups of our, some of our younger families and they have a porch they've designated and they just leave supplies on that porch for people in the community to come and get them. This is faith expressing itself in love. And one of my favorite stories is that some of our children are blessed our older saints by their coloring. And so they're coloring pictures and they're sending them in the mail. And can you imagine you're shut up in your apartment or your home all week and you get in the mail something like this from a child? Would that not make your day? Faith expressing itself in love. Oh, I've heard so many stories. We haven't closed church. And maybe my favorite is this. We have a member in our church with a disability and really is kind of confined to home. 
And she had a friend checking on her who was not a believer. And she invited this friend to watch our 8.30 devotionals. Uh, each day at 8.30 from Monday through Saturday, we're, we're doing a little time of worship and teaching and getting thousands of views. And here's this person who doesn't know Christ yet, meeting with this person and being encouraged in the word. And here's a person shut in their home with a disability and still able to lead her friend closer to Jesus. You see, the key to love is freedom. And the key to freedom is trusting in the love of God. So you've heard the phrase, who's your daddy? What I'm asking today is, who's your mama? Have you been drifting into Ishmael religion? It can happen. Let me give you some examples. Do you find yourself being uncomfortable with the radical implications of grace? Do you struggle with sin and start to think that God must struggle to love you? Do you see someone else exercising their freedom in Christ and it makes you nervous and you want them to stop it? Do you ever wonder if you've done enough to be saved? Do you think God would be more fond of you if you would just try a little harder? Do you serve because you have to? Or because in the power of the Holy Spirit, you get to? You see, Galatians is still relevant because some people in church still need to be rescued. And so I say to you, church, stand firm. God has set you free in Christ. Don't let it drift. Don't make it about the pastor. Don't make it about you. Make your faith about Jesus. I love how Paul's going to put it in chapter 6. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to walk in freedom, if you want to stay in freedom, focus on the one who purchased it. And so uh, it's the cross that's going to anchor us. It's the cross that's going to keep us strong. It's the cross that's going to keep us from drifting. If you're a sports fan, you'll recognize this face. John Wooden was the greatest basketball coach ever, won more championships than anyone else. 1942, he's about to enlist in the army and his pastor, Frank Davison, gave him a little cross to keep in his pocket and he held on to that cross. Now, in this picture, he's at courtside and people often notice during a tense game, he would keep up a program folded up in his hands. And you got to understand, he's in a high performance career where you're judged by whether or not you do enough. And he would always remain calm. And he would say later, what people don't understand is that inside that program was that cross I got years ago. And I would hold on to that cross to remember that God has decided who I am. That Christ gives me my identity, not a win and loss record. That in the most anxious moments, I could stay calm if I just hold on to the cross. That's a good word for us right now. 
Stay calm. Guard your freedom. Hold on to the cross. And here's the thing. It won't just set you free. It will keep you free. Let me pray for us. And so, Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, we lift up our hope. We lift up our anxiety. We lift up our concerns and our fears. But most of all, we lift up our faith up. We lift up our faith in Jesus, God. That what he has done is our answer. What he has done is our confidence. What he has done is our assurance. And we believe that Christ is being formed in us, that your Holy Spirit is at work, that you are keeping your promise. So we're not going to walk in fear. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to hold on to the cross. We're going to run our race well, and we are going to stay free. We affirm this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.